Today's episode is brought to you by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. Get your something to wrestle gear at BrucePritchard.com and check out BoxOfGimmicks.com, the official something to wrestle store where you can find gimmicks for yourself or the fan in your life. New items added weekly. I'm back to remind you this week of all the exclusive content you can find right now at AdFreeShows.com. Not only are all your favorite wrestling podcasts early and ad-free, but there's so much bonus content in the archives that you could literally spend weeks, hell, months, catching up on all the content that you can't find anywhere else. Listen up. AdFreeShows.com also has all the past exclusive StarCast interviews available to you, including AEW's own CM Punk and his memorable interview with PW Insider Mike Johnson from his hometown in Chicago in 2019. I'm sure you don't miss the politics or fighting or trying to get your way or making others understand your vision, but do you miss the performance of it? Do you miss getting in the ring? Do you miss calling spots? Do you miss performing and having people react the way that they did when you walked out on stage today? That aspect of it, is there any part of you that still misses it or have you moved on? Sign up now and you can hear Punk's response to this and so many other great questions as we all enjoy this amazing roller coaster ride in wrestling. There's never been a better complimentary piece to your wrestling fandom than becoming a member at adfreeshows.com right now. Hey, before we get going, first of all, I want to thank you guys for listening to the show. We greatly appreciate all of your support. It means a lot to both me and my co-host here. We're working hard to entertain you every single week, but behind the scenes, I'm working hard on something else. I want to share with you. Check out this five-star review from my man, John K up in Raleigh, North Kakalaki. He wrote, I've been a fan of Conrad's podcast for several years, given how home base have skyrocketed in our area in the last 12 months. I wanted to see if a refi that could consolidate our credit card debt was worth exploring. Diane, Brandy, and Bill were an absolute pleasure to work with. This was by far the smoothest mortgage process and fastest closing out of the four I've been through. Thanks to First Family, we were able to refinance to a lower rate and pay off all of our credit card debt. This will save us north of $800 a month. I cannot stress how huge that is for my wife and our two kids. This is the fresh start we've needed. I can't thank the team enough and will recommend First Family to all of my family and friends. Thanks. No, thank you, John. I greatly appreciate your support and thank you for leaving me that review over at conradreviews.com. Don't take my word for it, guys. We make saving money fast and easy. See for yourself what people are saying at conradreviews.com, but then give us a call. Find out how much money you can save for free at 888-425-0105. Yes, that's a toll-free call. Or maybe if you think you have a unique situation, just shoot me an email, conrad at savewithconrad.com. Or better yet, get a quick quote right now. Find out how much money you can save for free. John saved more than 800 bucks a month. What's your number? How much can you save? Find out at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention we're licensed in more than 40 states? And with rates as low as they are right now, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much. Your home is probably worth more than ever before. 
And this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to use that equity to change your life. Get out of debt faster with cheaper monthly payments and keep more of your own money at SaveWithConrad.com. That's SaveWithConrad.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared. I ain't scared to shit. Fuck you, Bruce. God damn, kid. God damn it. What the hell show you got there? I need more. Ooh, yeah. What say you? Pronouns, pal. And now, something to wrestle with. Con Bruce Pritchard. Eek. The second most recognizable athlete in the entire world today. Uh, Conrad Olsen. What happened when? Huh? What would Vince say about that? Well, hey, Vince. Bruce Pritchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? You know, not much of anything, man. Just, uh, you know, another day in paradise. And, uh, what can I say? Are you in the, uh, the rumor and innuendo now more than ever before? Do you think? I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Well, that's what we're here to do today. Debunk. We're going to talk some uh, innuendo and rumor. Now we're going to talk some bam, bam, Bigelow. I'm pumped about this one, man. A little old school. Bam, bam. I love, you know, I love, uh, you watch Flintstones, right? Of course. Yeah. I thought, man, Betty, first of all, Betty was hot. Okay. And Marty Rubble was probably one of the most underrated actors of all time. Is there a personality in wrestling you would compare to Barney Rubble? Who was wrestling's Barney Rubble? Well, fuck, there ain't nobody compared to Marty Rubble. He's a good actor. He should have got one of those uh, Academy Awards. Okay. From the Academy. Dick, dick, do. Oh, you're the, 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 the guy. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I, and I know I told the story, but it's like we. I every time I see him now, I just go, oh, the, the, and it's, it goes back to the Eddie Murphy when people would, Eddie Murphy talked about when people would see him on the street and go, Oh, Eddie, Eddie Murphy, fuck you, man. <laughs> fuck you. And now Michael flatters himself by comparing himself to Eddie Murphy and go, Oh, dude, dude, dude. I know you. Dude, dude, dude. Dude, dude, dude. I don't know why Silva's the only one that does that to him, but you know. Huh? Are you all right? You're, you're shot out of a cannon well, today. You I know, love. Oh, I'm just, 
Huh? What? You know, I'm, I'm uh, no, never mind. I'll tell you off air. Hey, so I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm. A, what's that song? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a get, I'm a get with the Black Eyed Peas or somebody. You know the. It's uh, I used to listen to your your house. It's not the Black Eyed Peas. I know that, but who the fuck was it? I don't know what you're saying. Okay. Yes, you do. You sang it to me. I'm a get. I'm a get. I'm a I'm, something like that. <laughs> I just like that you're in a good mood. You don't look sleepy or tired or stressed. What so, the fuck would I have to be sleepy, tired, or stressed about? I agree. I'm glad. Let's let's record the day. You're and angry. Time. I'm not angry. You just said you was angry. Why are you angry, B? Oh, I'm not. Gone. Come talk at me. <laughs> I can tell when you're angry. I can tell. I'm looking in your beady little eyes right now. You're angry. I am pumped up that we're talking about uh, Scott Bigelow. Born in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, uh, as you're listening to this two days ago, would have been his 60th birthday. Another guy gone way, way too soon. Uh, he was a high school wrestler who had some success, but ultimately didn't graduate and did some, uh, various careers. Shall we say things like being a bodyguard, being a bouncer, being a bounty hunter, I guess all the bees actually. Anyway, bam, bam, Bigelow is, uh, legendary for a lot of things, but there's a story I found in my research. I did not know. Allegedly while he was working as a bounty hunter, he was shot in the back and he spent like six months in a Mexican prison. Did you ever talk to him about that? You know, um, I spent a little bit of time with uh, bam, bam. I, I, I don't know that, um, a lot of his alleged background is, is necessarily 100%, uh, actual factual, oh, this, actual, actual factual. So it may have been a fishtail might've been cause he would have been an awfully young individual to have spent six months in prison and been shot in the back, but either way, eventually, thankfully for all of us, he winds up at Larry Sharp's monster factory in New Jersey. I'm a B I'm a B I'm a beginning. I'm a B I'm a B that's the song. I just looked it up. It's I'm a B that's I'm a B I'm a B I'm a B black eyed peas. What's the black eyed peas? I never played Fuck, this I'm song good. for you. Look at me, Mr. Current. Okay. I'm sorry. Larry Sharp. Jersey, Wildwood, Asbury Park. Yeah, what can you tell us about the Monster Factory? You know, the Monster Factory back in the day was probably the only, at least to my knowledge, was was really the only commercial school that got any kind of publicity that was actually out there. Um, I don't want to say advertising, but 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 looking for looking for students and, and actively advertising, if you will, and, and just getting the buzz out there for people. And it was kind of the, the go-to, um, if you wanted to be a wrestler, cause there weren't a lot of wrestling schools that were publicly known. And the monster factory was something that was, you know, it, it got featured on different shows where, Hey, you know, you want to be a wrestler? Well, there's a place you can go. It's the monster factory in wherever the fuck, New Jersey. And, they do personality. Larry Sharp was a character. Um, and man, Larry, Larry pumped him out. Larry had a reputation for, uh, finding big guys. 
and unique characters, if you will, that would come through there. And Solari was kind of a go-to guy if you were looking for um, an extra in a movie and, and, and things like that of a big nasty wrestler and shit like that. So you'd go to Larry Sharp and say, hey, you got anybody that's training with you or that you've seen? Um, that's what I want to ask. How, how often would you do that? Is that something you would reach out for or who? Would no, have... I'm saying in general, like, uh, the movie and television types that were looking for extras and things like that, that, you know, Larry kind of had that reputation because he had a, had a school that people knew about. It was like, Hey, well maybe we can find a wrestler. And I hear there's a guy in New Jersey. He's got a wrestling school that, uh, notoriously pumps out big guys. Well, chat me up about from the WWF's perspective when you were there and I realized that he's actually going to pop up before you do, but, uh, so you weren't involved in that, but did you guys weren't involved uh, in what recruiting Bam Bam Bigelow to the WWF? He wasn't there before I was, he came after I came. Really? Yeah. Right after. Well, I'll I wasn't involved in recruiting him, but he came after. I thought he showed up. Maybe, maybe, I mean, I'm not arguing with you, but I thought he showed up like a month ahead of you. When did you first officially start? April. Okay. Well, he was May. Yeah. I thought you were June for some reason. Okay. So, so chat me up. Um, in that era, uh, this is a pre NXT it's pre OVW it's pre Florida championship wrestling. It's pre Ohio Valley. Um, was there some sort of methodology. I mean, how would you guys discover talent from, you know, fresh out of wrestling school, somebody who wasn't necessarily on the territories yet? Well, we didn't. And Bam Bam had actually worked Texas. He had worked Dallas, uh, for Fritz in the world-class, uh, territory. And there was a point in time that Bam Bam was allegedly going to be coming in for Bill Watts in, uh, UWF mid South. So I don't know how serious those talks were. I know that uh, he was on the radar, at least for Watts, because he had been working in Dallas. And he wore the black, all black uh, gear and shit like that. And the only thing colorful about him was his head and the, the flames tattooed on his head. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks and a few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end, when people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home. Okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over paid for by NHTSA. We'll get there. I want to mention, uh, when later bam, bam was interviewed about why he got into professional wrestling. He says, quote, there wasn't much else I was qualified for. Uh, as you mentioned, he was uh, from Larry Sharp's monster factory considered the prize student at the time. And he actually debuts has his very first debut wrestling match at studio 54, August 23rd, 1985. 
And this show is probably most famous because this is really the first promotional effort of Paul Heyman, uh, who once upon a time was uh, trying to make his way in that business. And I think provided, uh, photography services and things like that, but he's going to throw his hat into the ring as a promoter. And he books Ric Flair for an appearance and the debut match of Bam Bam Bigelow. Have you ever heard anything about that show or that event or how it came to be? Did you ever talk to Paul or Bam Bam about that? Yeah, I talked to Paul about it. It was, you know, his kind of first foray into doing something. And it was more with the nightclub scene in New York. And Paul, you know, was looking to bring in some guys. And uh, I think Flair was the big attraction at that time. Yeah. To be able to bring Rick in for this event. But Rick wasn't working or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, just a, a stunt more than anything, you know, for the, for the nightclubs to be able to, to put on an event. Hey, come see wrestling. We're going to have live professional wrestling at studio 54, um, which was a pretty cool concept at the time, you know, that hadn't been done and it was a different way to get exposure and pretty smart on Paulie's part. Uh, Larry Sharp's monster factory would go on to produce quite a bit of talent. Uh, guys like big show and even someone more recently, Matt Riddle, I think went through the monster factory. Of course, these days ran by Mr. Cage, as opposed to, uh, Larry Sharp, but the legacy of the monster fat monster factory lives on Bruce. Yeah, it does. And, and I, you know, I, I don't mean to, uh, kind of, uh, poo poo on, on the monster factory and, and Larry Sharp. Um, but it did not always have the best reputation in the world. It was, it was looked at in a lot of ways as, um, I don't want to say a scam either, but a scheme, if if you will, that Larry took people's money that, that had no real, uh, aptitude for wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. And had that reputation. And then after that, Larry would tie himself to people like Bam Bam to take percentage of, whatever they they got and things like that after training them and it wasn't always the most it just wasn't always the best of reputations if you came out of the monster factory uh in those days people kind of looked at you sideways because i don't know that larry had had the best reputation in the business and i i can only speak for myself dealing with larry sharp through the years in that larry was always straight up with me couldn't have been a nicer guy and at least never gave me any reason to think that, um, I didn't, I never thought of him as a bad guy. I, I thought, wow, you know, uh, you, you hear the rumors and you hear the, the innuendo and all that good shit. So you're a little trepidatious in dealing with him, but I found in my dealings with him, at least one-on-one, -on -one, which there weren't a lot. But Larry was always, you know, pretty straight up and a, and a straightforward guy. So I never, I never understood where that came from other than maybe some of the old timers I hung around with didn't have a high opinion of him. Um, and the, the whole tying himself to guys that, uh, made it big and trying to take points out of their, out of whatever they got. So, um, on the heels of that, I feel like it's worth mentioning that. I think Danny Cage has owned it for like <coughs> 10 years now. Not Larry Sharp. Do you know Danny? Have you met him before? I've met him one time. Uh, nice guy. I met him at a, a seminar in San Antonio with my brother. And um, 
nice guy, but other than, hey, how you doing, and, and having dinner with him one night, I don't really know Danny. I guess what I'm trying to say is he doesn't have this negative reputation that precedes him that perhaps maybe no. Larry Sharp did once upon a time. No, and I think that the, the negative was, was probably based more in guys that had worked with Larry over the years and, and maybe just didn't like him because he yeah. was the only actual people. Well, Bill Watts. I don't think Bill Watts had a high opinion of Larry, but, uh, but Bill Watts didn't uh, like anybody besides Jim Ross. Good point. Yeah. So you, you got to look at the people that he liked and then you judge them that way. And well, there you go. Um, but also, you know, like Strongbow and, and people like that up in the Northeast didn't, didn't really have good things to say about Larry. Vince was always real nice to Larry and never had a problem with Larry, you know, being around and things like that. Um, so again, I can only, I can, I can say from my experience with Larry, it was, I never had a bad experience with Larry, but it was whatever you would say. Yeah. He's one of Larry Sharp's guys. People go, Oh boy. Just one more time. That's not what they're saying these days. Don't want to bury a guy's current business. So real tied Danny cage. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it was, it was, it was more Larry, not necessarily the other thing. And I, I, I have no idea other than, you know, I can speak to, to Matt Riddle and, and those guys, I, you know, I worked with Matt in MLW and, um, great guy, uh, obviously, but, I, but I, my point is, is that whoever trained Matt, I think did a pretty damn good job. Let's jump into it. Uh, people are really taking notice of Bam Bam, mostly because of his size. And then you stick around for the tattoos, but he's six foot four, 390 pounds, but pr- probably most notable for how agile he was. I mean, he could do some at the time, relatively high risk maneuvers. What was the first time you saw Bam Bam break out some of that fantastic stuff that you wouldn't expect a man, his size to be able to perform? I would, I would say probably, you know, in, in world-class, uh, in Dallas was the first time that I took notice, but I'd seen Bam Bam in one of those, whether it was access Hollywood and it wasn't access Hollywood, but it was one of those type of shows that did a feature on, um, the monster factory and saw Bam Bam because he was a unique cat. So people were looking, people were looking at him because of the way that he looked and his size uh, Bam Bam didn't work like a 350 pounder. Bam Bam worked like a 200 pounder and could do some really amazing things and had tremendous agility for a big man. Let's, Maybe too smooth. I wanted to ask, um, you know, how do you differentiate, you know, we've heard, we've heard the advice of, of quote unquote veterans a lot in wrestling who would say, Oh, he's doing all this stupid shit. He just needs to be a big man. Just be a giant wrestle like a giant, be a giant. But then you see a guy like this break out all kinds of crazy stuff and fans seem to really dig it. Uh, what's up with that? Where's the line where this guy should, but that guy shouldn't. I think it depends on ability as to whether or not they can do it. Um, when you see a big guy do it all the time, it becomes commonplace. It doesn't matter. It's not special. Right. If they break it out every now and then it makes it unique and it makes you go, Whoa, if you do an amazing maneuver over and over and over again, you get used to it and it becomes a spot instead of a spectacle. Well, it is a spectacle to see Bam Bam Bigelow. He's going to make his way down to Memphis and the CWA. Huh? 
who's going to be pushed pretty high up the card and even work a program with Jerry Lawler. And that's actually the first time or the first thing of his I've seen is like a highlight tape they made down there that they played on TV. That was really pretty cool, especially for the time. Did you see any of his Memphis stuff at all? I probably saw a little bit of it, but not, not enough to really, really matter, I guess more than anything. I probably saw a little bit of it Uh, again. The first time I really saw much of his stuff was, was out of Dallas. Um, do you know the whole story on how he got the flames on his head? Because that's obviously the thing that people still remember the most, but you and I've never talked about how or when that came about. And I assume it probably would have come up at some point. I wasn't there. I don't know. I wasn't even there. So you never asked him. I don't know. I, I never asked him. Never, ever asked him. Do you know? No, I don't know. I was asking you. I don't know if he got it when he was in that Mexican prison. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> hey, man, come here, Vato. Hey, yo, Vato, come here, man. I want to do something to your head. Hold still, Holmes. Oh, no, man, come on, man. You're just going to feel like a little prick. Well, man, don't come here, little prick. Come here. A couple of flames on his head. Probably something just like that. Uh, then he goes to world-class championship wrestling. He's going to portray a Russian here. Uh, and why is he a Russian here in 86? Because everyone's a Russian in 1986. Well, if you're big and you're bald and menacing, well, by God, you're a goddamn God Russian. Uh, do you remember his, uh, his Russian name? Oh shit. What the fuck? It was a cr- crusher. Your cough. Oh, see your cough. Dude, Crusher Yurkoff, can we just be honest? That's a fucking, that's a rib name. Is it not? I didn't, I didn't do it. I'm, I'm not saying you did it, but I am saying hypothetically. Hey, Yurkoff, come here. Doesn't hey, it? Yurkoff? <laughs> I mean, come on. Dude, it sounds like, right? It's like if it was Billy Whack Me Off. Was, <laughs> come on. You know Billy? You see? He's a hell see? of a hand. Next week on something to wrestle with Billy yak me off. So listen, we're going to talk about something that is really dated here, but bam, bam, even wins rookie of the year. Uh, How many years? The, just the one. Uh, as far as Tom, I know, my brother, Tom won rookie of the year. I think three times, three years in a row. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah. There was a guy, a guy who used to wrestle at NWA Wildside with Bill Barron's name, Sal Renaro, and he's still with NWA anyway. I saw him years ago as the two-time rookie of the year. Thought it was the fucking coolest gimmick ever. And here your brother had it. Was he promoting himself as a three-time rookie of the year? No, no. It's just every territory he went to was like this young rookie, Tommy Pritchard. You know, he's cowboy Tommy Pritchard out in in, uh, California because anybody comes from Texas has got to be a a cowboy. And when he got there, they said, hey, you got got a hat with some chaps? Thinking that just everybody came from Texas always carried a hat and chaps and they're in their bag. Well, hang on. Let me get one. You want yellow or blue? Um, what the fuck? But yeah, Tom, everywhere he'd go, you know, was young. And so they'd make him, oh, this young rookie, they'd have their own local rookie of the year. Do you know who beat him out rookie of the year in PWI in his actual real rookie year? Okay. I think Terry Taylor was the rookie of the year and Tom was runner up. You ever bust Tom's balls about that? 
No, because he was a three-time rookie of the year. Cockadoodle guy was only once. Okay. Um, he gets noticed enough to uh, get booked over in New Japan Pro Wrestling in January of 87. So just to recap, the guy is like 16 months in the business and already booked by New Japan. That's a pretty big damn deal. Is it because they had so much success with the other American wrestlers because of his size? What say you? I think Anoki had a fetish for the big guys to, to bring in and bring in a big, nasty looking heel for Anoki to be. So yeah, I think Anoki liked that, that style, that type of, uh, of talent. Well, he's only there for like four or five months before he debuts with the world wrestling federation, May 26, 1987 in Asbury park, New Jersey. And, um, he's going to debut in his home state and in the town that he's announced from his whole career. Pretty cool little deal. Do you remember his first match or, or him coming in or how that all came to be? Yeah, I, I remember he came in and was very bland Wore like black short shorts. And then the top that, that he wore pretty much for, for his career, it was almost like a butcher top, but it covered a little bit more of his body. And, um, for being as big as he was and, you know, from the neck up as colorful as he was, it didn't match, you know, it, it was, it was very bland and, and kind of blah and it was blah enough to almost take away his uniqueness because then he just became a heavy dude that happened to be bald with a tattoo on his head. Right. There was nothing special about him that made him stand out. And, um, so then, you know, we looked at, okay, what, what can we do to, to color him up and, uh, to make him stand out in, in a, in a land of giants. He was a big guy, but he was a big guy that had some extraordinary talents and, and could do an awful lot for a big man. Ding dong. Hello. Yes. We're talking about your ding dong today. This episode is sponsored by blue chew. Say it with me, blue chew. Man, they've been sponsoring us for so long. It feels like they've been a part of something to wrestle as long as Bruce has, but now it's summer it's camping season. Let's talk about pitching tents. You know what we're doing guys. Listen, here's the thing. I want to give you a little pro tip. Confidence can take you far in life. It works in a wrestling ring. It works in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where blue chew gives you the hot tag. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Now you can take these dudes anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or just be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process, oh, it's so simple. You just sign up at bluechew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. Now here's the best part. It's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in discreet package. With Blue Chew, men everywhere are excited to see the postman, and actually your wives will be too, because when your package has arrived, it means your package has arrived. And here's the thing. They always say first impressions are important, but what about a lasting impression? So if you're in a dating routine and you're getting ready to uh, go one-on-one with the great one for the first time, 
why not leave a lasting impression? Women say there's nothing sexier than confidence and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. So if you could benefit from the extra confidence when it's time to perform, man, tagging our boys at Blue Chew, they can help. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code WRESTLE at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. The promo code is WRESTLE to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring the podcast. But seriously, have you not checked this out? If you've been listening to this for a long time, because I can't believe it, but I think this is like our five-year anniversary. You do not want to miss this. BlueChew.com promo code wrestle try it for free you're just out five dollars shipping why not see what all the fuss is about you're gonna love it bluechew.com the promo code is wrestle who else would have been working with town i mean i know you're fresh so you're sort of i think you've laid out on the show in the past you were really doing a little bit of everything you weren't necessarily doing only this or only that so you're all over the place anyway who would have been working with talent? Would it have just been agents at the shows? And who do you think that cast and crew may have looked like in, in 1987? Yeah, it, it was the agents, the chief J Strongbows, Tony Garrias, Pat Patterson, uh, monsoon guys like that would work with talent on a, um, weekly basis and or at the house shows. So the agents that were in the house shows were able to work with them every night and, uh, pad at TV, but it was more at that time that we would put guys on house shows to go out and see how the audience is reacting to them before you'd ever get on television and then get a feel for what they do, what they are and, um, ideas as to what to do with them from there. They'd make every TV and work from there. Talk me through what sort of transition you think a wrestler would need to make in order to be ready for the prime time in the WWF really at the height of the golden era here in the, the shadow of WrestleMania three, there's more people watching WWF programming than ever before. Uh, your network, your syndicator network continues to grow by leaps and bounds. You've got primetime specials. You've got late night specials. You've got a lot of really great stuff on the horizon, not just on cable, but on broadcast television. And now you're taking these talent and this one in particular, what he's two years in the business, less than that. And now he's going to be a part of this roster and sure. He may have some of the, the quote unquote moves down and he might understand basic match structure. He learned all that in wrestling school and through doing matches across the country and even in Japan, but now he's got to really turn the volume up and be a personality that's larger than life. And he's a, he's a relatively young man here. What? What did that process look like? Because it feels a little overwhelming when you put it in context like that. I think it probably was overwhelming for Bam Bam. Uh, you know, he had been used to kind of being out on his own and really his only mentor being Larry Sharp, who I think that Larry probably fed into his head. Don't trust anybody. Um, you know, uh, just more than, more than anything, a, an attitude of distrust. I think with, with all promoters and, and anybody in the business that wasn't Larry. So I think Bam Bam kind of had that in his head without any validation to it. I don't know that anybody had, I don't think Scott had been in the, 
in the business that long to have that kind of a feeling or, or to feel that way, uh, exclusive to his own endeavors. So, you know, Bam Bam coming in, it was, it, it was a pretty raw lump of clay that you could mold with some decent foundation and some, some pretty good skills. You know, we've heard over the years that, uh, well, the WWF is the land of the giants and that Vince has an affinity for larger than life characters. And we've even heard an explanation, you know, what do they look like in an airport? Do they turn heads in an airport? Is everyone wrestling fan or not paying attention to that person? And that could be based on size or star value or natural charisma, whatever. They have some sort of magnetism about that. Did Vince see that in Bam Bam and would he have seen it without the head tat? I don't know if he would have seen it without the head tattoo. And I don't know that Bam Bam would have had the same swagger without the head tattoo. Yeah. Frankly, I think that that, that it all kind of came together in a, in a neat package and the tattoo probably gave Bam Bam some of that swagger and, and some of that strut that he had naturally. It is interesting to go back and think about what if, I mean, in this era, we should also mention, you've told us before that you guys were really looking for, it's a babyface territory. So there's a lot of other territories in the country that they wanted to have a heel champion and all the baby faces chase Vince and, and even his father preferred a babyface champion taking on all comers, a guy like Bruno San Martino. And now it's Hulk Hogan's turn. When you see a guy like Bam Bam Bigelow at his height, his weight and his agility, but then as if that isn't enough, the crazy head tat, do you just think, oh man, we sharpen that guy up and he'll be perfect for Hogan on a Saturday night's main event or whatever you're looking primarily for, not necessarily your next Hogan, but who can Hogan's next opponent be? Is that fair to say? It is, but, it, but in Bam Bam in particular, we were looking at, you know, holy shit, what an attraction he can be. So did, you, did you think he could have been a baby a face? Oh, well, you didn't yeah. see him. Okay. All right. Yeah, didn't see him as a heel. Saw him as a huge baby face. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, a storyline begins on July 20th on primetime wrestling where Bobby Heen is doing commentary and he claims to have signed Bam Bam. And then Jimmy Hart in an insert during a honky tonk man match claims to have signed Bam Bam. And then Mr. Fuji during a demolition match the next week, we would see he signed Bam Bam. And then Johnny V does the same routine during an Islanders match. And in fact, slick does they must one. have been reading the dirt sheets. It's a nice storyline, Bruce. If you okay. can okay. just behave for a little bit, why it's a nice way to say, Hey, all the heels want to manage this guy. And, and that just really lays out really a different time in wrestling. It felt like every major heel or hell minor heel, they all had heel managers in this era. And that was also something that harkened back to Vince's dad. Did it not? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much in order to, you know, give mouthpieces and to know exactly what side of the fence they stood on. Uh, do you prefer Johnny V slick, Mr. Fuji, Jimmy Hart? Who was your favorite manager from that era? Oh Bes God. Besides Bobby. Come on. Besides. Bobby's the only one. Yeah. It, go it goes Bobby to Jimmy Hart and drops off after that. Um, was the inspiration 
for this whole manager thing? Was that taken from the Randy Savage, Miss Elizabeth debut? Because we saw a lot of people vying for his services, uh, in 1986. And it wound up being the debut of Miss Elizabeth. Is that sort of, Hey, this is the, the updated version of that. I think it was, yeah, def- it was definitely similar and, and along the same path. It was a way just to garner interest in him before he ever debuted. So it's going to narrow down on August 29th. All the managers have been ruled out except for one slick. And it's announced the next week that slick and bam, bam are going to make their first appearance together, but it's a swerve bro. Bammer turns down slick and it's sir Oliver Humperdinck named as Bammer's manager. And now he's a baby face and he's going to go on to defeat Nikolai Volkov. Was this always the plan tease that he's a heel and then stiff arm him, make him a baby face. And why was Humperdinck the right guy for that? We were looking for, you know, Bam Bam's promo skills were not that good. You know, they, they definitely didn't match his look and trying to find someone who, who could talk for him and, and again, add a little bit more color to Bam Bam Bigelow and Hump had, had been somebody that had, you know, inquired, wanted to come in and do some different stuff, but, um, it, it was new and, and Bam Bam was new. We were looking for something fresh and new and Hump was, Hump had never been a baby face. I don't think in his entire career either, but it was just something different. And it was giving a baby face, a manager and, um, bring Humperdinck in as a brand new face. So you got a new face and a new manager and a whole, a whole new life. You got any good Humperdinck stories? It feels like that guy's a real character. Oof. I mean, he looks like a walking, talking gimmick and a half. Um, well, <laughs> road trips. I don't, ribs. Any, I, I don't know if there's any, I can repeat. Come on. Uh, no, Humperdinck, Humper, uh, I, you'd be, you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that had anything bad to say about hump. I'll tell you that. Uh, he just was a really mellow guy, uh, like smoke his pot and just chill out. Um, quite the ladies, man. No. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, it's funny. just some of the things that, you know, you, you, you form opinions and you form, preconceived notions a lot of times before you ever meet someone and then you get to meet them. You see the public, you see the public person, then you meet and you, you, you get to know the private person. Um, yeah. Hump was quite the ladies man. He, 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 he enjoyed, he enjoyed, he really enjoyed the ladies. Did he have anything in common with, um, Alfred Hayes? Yeah. What? Uh, maybe. I'm just asking. I never, I never uh, you know, did I ask him? No. I hey, just... you got a whale rope in there, pal? What you packing? No. The fuck kind of question is that? Well, you're the one who offered that up about Lord Alfred. We didn't he know that. asking me. I saw you. You were, lo- you were looking at me and you were going, Alfred Hayes. I did. Oh, that's a lie. You did. You were just thinking about dong over there. Tell the you. truth. You forget I can see you. This isn't radio. I can, I can see you too, kind sir. Yeah. All right. 
So anyway, give me a good Humperdinck story. You got any good ribs, any good drinking stories, any marijuana stories, any, uh, it was always, it just was always so much fun to go out with him because you could get really chill and relaxed and you would watch him kind of work the room. You go out to a nightclub or, or what have you. And some people would be absolutely repulsed by his appearance. Um, that's an actual word that would choose to describe him by a young lady. One night you're repulsive. And he says, my dear, you're charming and so lovely that I could repulse you all night long. You know, little things like that. that he, you couldn't insult him. You couldn't hurt his feet. He, he just, it, it was, uh, you know, there's, there's certain guys you look at and go, man, I, I don't know how the hell that they would ever get laid type thing. And, and, um, you know, like the cool guys sometimes would sit back in a bar like, oh, I'm not going to go and talk to any of these girls here. I'm too cool for that. Bullshit. Hump was in the middle of it. Hump would talk to anybody and everybody and would all hardly ever walked out alone. <laughs> Just H- Hump knew it was a numbers game. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and he didn't give up. A friend of ours once said 18%. And I was like, what? 18%. What does that, what does that mean? 18, you ask a hundred chicks, 18 are into it. <laughs> so what's your plan? He's like, I'm going to go ask a hundred chicks. I'm going to take my pick from 18. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think it works that way. Let's see how that works. Well, there's a hundred chicks there to, to choose from. Maybe it would. Yeah. Have you tried this? No. Uh-uh. Didn't have so what's to. What's your percentage? My father-in-law set me up on my deal. So yeah. Yeah. So it was an arranged deal. Yes. She didn't have a choice in the matter. If you read the, if you read the internet, right. Huh? So he, he made her, was there any money exchanged? Well, that's what the internet, the internet is <laughs> like assume. a couple of camels and, and, uh, your first, second and third, fourth born. You can have the third one. Or? It was a collateral for Rick, a new mortgage. So, oh, okay. Well, see, got, that makes sense. Cause you're a mortgage guy. So we got 25 years left and then she's all the pain off. Uh, <laughs> so Bam Bam's on TV winning squashes in pretty impressive fashion. He's got a slingshot splash and he's on the road to winning lots of battle Royals. His ring attire though, the flames boy, who came up with that? I mean, that presented him as a major star. Did it not? Yeah, well, that was Vince looking at his gear, just thinking it was plain and, and dull and it's, he had fire on his head. Let's put fire on his body too. Fantastic. Uh, it's been said that Bigelow was actually brought in to be Hulk Hogan's understudy and a tag team partner, maybe to help Hulk in reducing some of the, the work on the road and maybe even give Bigelow the rub. Do you remember that ever being discussed? Well, we were looking as at Bam Bam as being a being a top baby face. So, you know, anytime you're looking at bringing in a top baby face with Hulk, it is to complement that and or replace it at some point. I think that's what we were looking at, at Bam Bam for to to come in and be a star. Well, he's going to make his uh, pay per view debut on Hulk's team at the Survivor Series. Check out this team. Hulk Hogan, Don Morocco, Ken Patera, and Paul Orndorff. 
all teaming with Bam Bam Bigelow. Boy, where's that old Wendy's commercial? Where's the beef? It's all on that side of the ring. Uh, they're going to wind up taking on the Heenan family, which is Andre, the giant King Kong Bundy, Butch Reed, one man gang and Rick rude. Never mind. There's the other half of the beef Lord. This really is the land of the giants. But what about that team, man? Don Morocco, Ken Patera, Paul Orndorff, Hulk Hogan, and bam, bam, Bigelow. Well, you said it right when you said the beef and, and that was, you know, of course the famous Hogan must pose. Uh, yeah. Bam, bam got the win, but well, this wasn't the, yeah, but you know what I mean? Um, either way though, he's the last baby face standing after Hogan is counted out. He's going to pin Bundy and one man gang. And then he gets pinned by Andre. Andre didn't like Bam Bam. Really? Tell me about that. Oh, go back and watch some of the fucking matches. You watch Andre grab him by the top of his, you know, his, 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 his top garment as Paul Bosch used to say when the Tarzan, well, he's wearing the over the shoulder garment. Um, well, Bam Bam, Andre would just reach out cause he didn't have any hair to pull. So he would grab him by his, his top shirt, his gear and just yank him and throw him around. And, and Andre treated him like a rag doll, not a fan of Bam Bam's at all. Firehead. Why, why though? Andre didn't like big guys. And That's I think it. that he felt Bam Bam had a bit of an attitude coming in. And that, uh, he was a young guy that hadn't really earned his stripes in Andre's eyes. Just didn't like him. Andre, you know what? When you're seven, four 500 pounds and they refer to you as the boss, you don't have to have a reason for pretty much anything you do. Well, fair enough. But what a vote of confidence it is when Hogan goes down, bam, bam's the last baby face. I mean, I know Andre's going to win, but still that's a pretty big damn deal. Yeah, it sure is. And that was, you know, kind of the, what we were trying to portray is that this guy's a player. So he gets a big win over Hercules on Saturday night's main event, November 28th, 1987. Are you having any sort of communication with him? I mean, is he, how's he doing? How's he holding up to the pressure? I only mentioned that because now he's a big TV star. He's got a little bit of notoriety. He's probably making more money than he ever has in his life. And he's a relatively young man, but a big man making towns all over the country. Uh, is this, uh, too much too soon? How's he handling this personally? I think he handled it. All right. Um, I think there were, there were times that it may have been a little overwhelming, but for the most part, I think he handled it as well as he could have at, at his age. You know, he's, He's like a year older than I am, and it was, I could kind of relate to it on a different level of a whole lot really fast. Somebody used to say to me, it's like, you know, drinking water out of a fire hose. Um, it, it just, yeah, it was a lot, but I think for the most part that Scott handled as well as he could. At the time, there were moments, there, there were definitely moments where he just didn't understand. I don't, I don't think he ever understood, you know, why Andre didn't like him. So, it, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, from a, um, sex, drugs, and rock and roll standpoint, he's keeping it between the ditches. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in your, in your opinion, in hindsight, was it the right move to start him as a baby face and then transition to heel? Or do you think he could have maybe capitalized on some of that 
1987 Hogan run standing across the ring from him rather than shoulder to shoulder. I think that when you're looking at that stable of heels at the time, that it was the only thing to do with him. Yeah, it was a solid. Because on run. the other, yeah, on the on the other side, you had a pretty stout fucking lineup. Yes, you did. Well, in 1987, he wins a slammy, uh, one of the first years you guys did that. And of course, this is the first show that you produced for the WWF, I think, where you were like, had your reins on the thing, but you guys have an award called best head. Of course, bam, bam won that. Well, who had better head than him? I don't know. You, I wasn't there. Well, he won, didn't he? So you, 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 in your opinion, he had the best head in the WWF in 1987 at the time. Yeah. Has there been better head there since? Hmm. Hmm. Luna Vachon. Okay. That was an interesting one. I could see that. Yeah. What about Golga? Does he have good head? Who? Golga. The fuck is Golga? He was part of the oddities. He used to call him John Tenta or earthquake. Oh, wear okay. leather lumpy mask and sweatpants. I said, I never saw him without the mask. So that's all news to me. Oh, okay. Right. So to begin 1988, bam, bam is teaming with Hulk Hogan at uh, Madison square garden process that he's starting 1988 headlining with Hulk Hogan at Madison square garden. And he's taking on Andre, the giant and Ted DiBiase. Uh, it looks like he's uh, going to be substituted on a lot of the arena shows in this time, was he having physical problems or homesick or is the grind just getting to him? Do you think? Uh, I think that it was a combination of everything. I think it was a combination of the road and being a big guy, man, the, the road will wear on you a little bit more, just, you know, getting up, going through airports. I think his body was taking its toll, the kind of schedule that he was working. So it was a combination of everything. And I, I don't know that he was necessarily after a while, it just takes its toll. So he blows his knee out in Hartford, March of 88 against Dino Bravo. He's taken off. Well, the road. wouldn't you? Everybody got hurt against Dino, even Bret Hart. Uh, and he's replaced by Jim Duggan. Uh, I guess it's his injury that caused one man gang to beat him in under three minutes at WrestleMania four. I mean, it seems like he's an odd guy to go down that quickly in that form and fashion on such a big card. But if he's hurt, he's hurt, right? You got to put some star power on there and put some lipstick on that pig. Well, you know, and again, at the time, different, you know, different time, different place and guys kind of played through the pain and didn't always want to go, Hey, my knees bother. Maybe I, I can't do a whole lot tonight. Um, that was the nature of the beast at the time. According to the rumor and innuendo quote, Bigelow had gotten the superstar attitude from Japan and rubbed some people the wrong way who resented his being used on top immediately. He was roughed up on a couple of occasions, once by Andre, the giant and another time by Sika of the wild Samoans who busted his nose. He grew up with nothing and fell in a bad crowd. He got rich and famous very quickly, but he made a lot of bad choices. He really didn't handle the fame, the money, or the women very well and went into a downward spiral. Do you remember the whole Sika thing where maybe he was rubbing him the wrong way too? You explain the Andre thing. He just didn't like big guys, but Sika, how would we have gotten sideways there? If you had to guess, 
I, I don't really remember, but I do remember you know the time frame after kind of the first year of being pushed to the moon and being the guy and being talked about, oh my God, this is the guy that you know was gonna replace Hulk. This is the guy. It's an awful lot to absorb. In the beginning, Scott came in as a very humble guy and he really again he did well. He did well handling it when you look at his age and you look at what he hadn't been through. Okay. Um, a lot kind of got dumped. It kind of goes back to, to Larry Sharp and people saying, Oh, well, Larry's, uh, pissing in his ear and just kind of, they made excuses for him. I see. But I think that it was just age and lack of maturity and too much too soon. Um, Again, I've, I've seen guys handle it worse. So, and maybe it's it's just because I always liked Scott. I always thought he was a, a really, really nice guy and a pretty humble guy. Um, so I, I probably, you know, would make excuses as well for him. But I think, you know, when you step back and you look at it, yeah, maybe he could have handled some things better. What leads to his eventual exit in 1988? Is it these personnel issues with Andre and Sika and those types where he's just rubbing people the wrong way? Or is it the way it was recapped? He didn't really handle the fame, the money, or the women very well. Do you think it was just became too much of the rock star lifestyle? We're not focused on our work as much as we are having a good time. I think, yeah, I think it was more than anything, the reality of the situation in that, Maybe he needs a little more time away from here to mature and to hone his craft a little more. So it happens. He makes his last at Madison square garden appearance on June 25th. It's in a loss to Andre, the giant. It's going to be his last appearance here for like nearly five years. Uh, and Brent Hart has said of this match, Andre quote, practically killed him in quote, and that bam, bam, just grabbed his bag and left. Did you hear about this, for lack of a better word, mauling in Bigelow's last MSG appearance against Andre? God, I was there. What do you remember um, about that night? Just brutality. Uh, you know, Bobby Heenan would tell the story that you could almost, well, maybe not almost, that you could hear Scott like just trying to get the hell out of there. And Andre, again, you go back and, and watch it. It's got to be on tape somewhere. Um, Andre just pretty much manhandling him. And I think in some ways, I don't know if it was Andre trying to get Bam Bam to either fight back or, you know, to see, okay, what are you made of kid? And maybe if he had fought, actually fought back with Andre, it might've been a different scenario, but the fact that he didn't, whether it was out of respect or out of, he just couldn't. I don't have that answer, but, um, Andre pretty much beat the shit out of him and I to, mean, just brutalized him. Isn't that like a, a catch 22. If you're one of the guys, like on the one hand, cause I feel like you nailed it. You want to be respectful. I mean, everybody, everything in wrestling is about respect and you shake everybody's hand and you take care of the guys and you never take liberties with guys and you respect your veterans and the veteran calls the match, blah, blah, blah. And now here you have a veteran beating the shit out of you doing exactly what you're not supposed to do. And on the one hand, it feels like, well, this is a hazing thing and I'm supposed to just grin and bear it. 
But on the other hand, I think most guys would look at it and say that if, if somebody's being really rough with you in the ring and if you don't fight back, then you deserve what you get. Okay. So sometimes it's, sometimes it can be uh, as trivial as a test to say, all right, man, are you going to fight back? Are you going to do something? Are you just going to be abused? You know, our old pal JR always says it comes down to the two C's in wrestling cash and creative. And unfortunately, try as I might for the last five years, Bruce won't talk about money, but we're going to talk about money right now. We're going to talk about cryptocurrency. Boy, it's everywhere right now. Is it not? It feels like everybody's been talking about it, but if you're like me, I used to think cryptocurrency was like a secret club or maybe an exclusive club. You had to know somebody, but Coinbase believes that everyone everywhere should be able to get in the door, whether you've been trading for years, or maybe you're just getting started. Coinbase can help. Coinbase offers a trusted and easy to use platform to buy, sell, and spend cryptocurrency. They support the most popular digital currencies on the market and make them accessible to everyone. They offer portfolio management and protection, learning resources, and a mobile app so you can trade securely and monitor your crypto all in one place. Millions of people in over a hundred countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. So whether you're looking to diversify, just getting started or searching for a better way to access the crypto markets, start today with Coinbase for a limited time. New users can get $5 in free Bitcoin. When you sign up today at coinbase.com forward slash wrestle, sign up at coinbase.com forward slash wrestle for $5 in free Bitcoin. This offer is for a limited time only, and be sure to sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash wrestle. Seriously, sign up at coinbase.com slash wrestle for $5 in free Bitcoin. It's free Bitcoin. What are you waiting for? Sign up right now. Coinbase.com forward slash wrestle. Let me ask you this though. And I'm not saying this to be funny. I'm just saying hypothetical because I realize this is going to be a stretch the way I position it, but it's what we're talking about. If he would have fired off on Andre and before you laugh, hurt Andre. When he comes back to the back after he's, you know, sort of hurt the quote unquote golden goose, is there not going to be significant heat on him there? Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like to me, it's like practice in the NFL, right? You don't hit the quarterback. You don't hit the red Jersey. So you're not going to mess with the golden goose. And I'm not saying that he was at that point. It's clearly it was Hulk Hogan, but Andre's up there. And I just think about, man, if somebody would have did that maybe years later to a Sean Michaels, if Sean took a Liberty, for instance. And they could hurt him. It feels like, boy, you'd have got your ass chewed when you went through the curtain. Sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Is my, am I right? I think there's a difference in in fighting back and giving a receipt and letting somebody know, all right, you're going to hit me that hard. I'm going to hit you this hard. And let them know. And then, you know, you, you figure it out from there to go out and hurt somebody. I don't think Andre was out to hurt him. Yeah, there's Andre, a difference. Me, if Andre wanted to hurt him and take him out, Andre would have hurt him and taken him out. Right. So it, it wasn't that. And, you know, who knows what, what Andre's motives were in that. It may have just been, I don't like you and I'm going to beat the shit out of you tonight and you can fight me back and we can fight and we can go. But who knows, you know, at that point. And I think that if, you know, Bam Bam had at least fired up some, been able to fire up, then... Don't know if it would have been a different outcome. Was Andre untouchable in that era from Vince McMahon? I mean, 
when, when you said, you said, oh, I, I remember this, I was there. So clearly Vince would have heard about it. Does Vince go to Andre and say, God damn pal, trying to make some guys quit beating them up or whatever the fuck. I think if it, if it was excessive, yeah, definitely would. But you know, you go back, it's like warrior. Um, one of the things that got warrior over with Andre is through all that shit and Andre beating the living shit out of him. Warrior fought back. Yeah. Right, wrong or indifferent. Shitty as warrior was. He stood there, he took it, and he came back. So that was Andre like, okay. You know, you, this is what you're going to get when you fuck up. But you know what? I'm going to work with you because you're in here fighting for it. What an interesting subculture this is. Do you know if Andre and Bam Bam ever mended fences before Andre passed? I don't, I have no idea. I, I, I don't really know. Do you know if Andre went through sort of, uh, you know, every now and again, when guys have a, shall we say a, a moment of clarity, they're going to go around and try to make amends. And you often hear that people do that when they're fresh out of recovery or when they feel like, man, I'm not in good health. This might be winding down for me. Not that I've ever really heard of. And I don't know that, you know, for the most part, I don't know of anybody that Andre would have done that with. All right. So we know what's happening next. Bam Bam's going to head over to Jim Crockett promotions. He won't sign an exclusive contract because he's still doing these new Japan tours. Did you lose touch with him? Did you keep up with Bam Bam at all through his Jim Crockett or new Japan or UWF experiments? No, I lost touch with Bam Bam after he left. So he comes back to the WWF, uh, at the time he's being pushed very heavily in new Japan as a tag team partner of who we know is the great Muda. Uh, were you a part of the negotiation to bring him back? Does he come to you? Do you come to him? How do you remember him coming back to the company? No, I think he just called Vince and, and asked, you know, to come back. And that was during a time that <clears throat> for whatever reason, you know, they, they mended fences and moved on. So absolutely. Come on back. Halloween, 1992 Bigelow's promoted as returning on superstars. And then in late November, he does return. And defeats Jerry Fox in a minute and 59 seconds. Uh, of course you're back that November as well. Uh, or I guess actually before that chat me up though, what was different about Bam Bam here in 92 compared to 1988? Is it just the, the maturity and that made all the difference or was his work different as well? Uh, no, to me, I think it was just the maturity and the, you know, you had somebody who had kind of been through the wars and, and hopefully grown up a little bit. So it's announced that Bam Bam is going to take on big boss man at rumble 93. Uh, of course he's going to get a big return win on pay-per-view Meltzer gave it one star. They go 10 minutes and 10 seconds. Bam Bam picks up the win with a headbutt off the top. Meltzer would write boss man has gained a lot of his previous lost poundage back. Lots of people went to the popcorn stand during this match. Uh, crowd was way down because they were following such a hot match, but still it's interesting to think. And again, the wrestling business is a changing. This is Bam Bam's first singles pay-per-view win in the WWF. Like, you know, when he was there the first time pay-per-view was really in its infancy. Now it's a regular part of what we're doing, but this win over boss man here in 93 is his first pay-per-view win. How about that? Kind of crazy. A little cray cray. I'm a B. I'm a B. I'm oh, a, I'm a, I'm a B. No, no. Uh, he's scheduled for WrestleMania nine against Kamala, but the match winds up being cut due to time. 
So Bigelow has been around for a while at this point, obviously, you know, he had a run here before and he gets his match with Kamala cut. Uh, I know we've talked about these types of situations before, but I'll ask again, do Kamala and, uh, and Bigelow still get paid here. I'm sure they did. How disappointed are they when, you know, Hey, everybody in this era would say, man, we had to wait till we got our WrestleMania pay-per-view to know or payday before we knew if it was a good pay or a good year or not. Like so much of your entire year hinged on WrestleMania. And again, they may be cut. And as you said, they're still getting paid, but it's gotta be a little bit of a letdown. I mean, WrestleMania is still obviously the Mac daddy now, but back then, uh, there weren't super shows every month or twice a month. This was next level special. And now you've trained and gotten ready and keyed up and you're excited and you got your shit together and sorry, pal, your match is cut. It happens. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast, you know, uh, bam, bam took it in stride. I talked to Kamala. He said, oh, yeah. he was fine. Perfect. Uh, Luna Vachon is put with Begalo. Of course she had the best head that year as we know. Um, is that pairing simply because of their, uh, <clears throat> great heads, great head. Yeah. They both had great head. Yeah. The best head you might say. Yeah. So it's portrayed as Luna being pair of heads. It's portrayed as Luna being his main squeeze, but it's never really gone into that. They're attached romantically. Like you don't see some of the on camera sparks that you would in other situations like this, but he does refer to her as his main squeeze. Can you talk me through that? They just like to squeeze each other. This is fun. You're like my big squeeze. I appreciate that. You're yeah. my, you're my medium squeeze. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow's first singles match main event on a pay-per-view. Uh, he's our Mexican squeeze. Ah, okay. Uh, King of the ring against Bret Hart. We covered in the archives, but still when he gets to go on top with Bret here, that's kind of a big deal and a vote of confidence. Now that we're out of the quote unquote Hulk Hogan era and we're in the Bret Hart era, one of the first guys he's going to work with Bam Bam Bigelow. Pretty cool little nod, huh? I, I think it is, but it was also a testament to no matter what, with the exception of times that he was hurt, I don't know that Bam Bam's work in the ring was anything that anyone ever really complained about. And I think that Bam Bam was always um, a great worker and was able to deliver in the ring. Bam Bam and Tataka are matched up after King of the Ring, and it leads to Sherry Martell and Tataka coming together against Luna and Bigelow. And Bam Bam is actually a part of Sherry's last WWF appearance in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, uh, when Luna and Bigelow are going to attack Sherry, but Tataka makes the save. We've covered that in the archives, but was it important to Sherry to sort of help put the rub on Luna on her way out here? Absolutely. And Sherry was probably one of the most unselfish talents you'd ever run into. Sherry loved to get other people over. You, uh, you told us a little bit earlier that there was never really a question about Bam Bam's in-ring work. Well, on the heels of this, he's going to start putting over Tataka on most of the shows because Tataka is doing an undefeated streak, but we just read earlier that perhaps he had an attitude. His first WWF run. Does he have any issues putting over Tataka on the house show loops here? No, he didn't. It's, you don't have to be disgusted about it. 
why it's like oh my god in in a couple of cities in japan uh he was i uh, come on you're talking about the rest of the world versus an isolated area well no it wasn't about that it was that perhaps he got treated like a star over there so he came back with a case of the big head that's the way i read it okay it's announced at SummerSlam 93 that uh, Bigelow That's why he team, had the best head. He, he was a big head. He did have the best head. It's well yeah. documented. He's going to team with uh, the Head Shrinkers to face Tataka and the Smoking Guns. The match gets two and three quarter stars. They go 11 minutes and 15 seconds. Um, yeah, losing effort here. Next up, Bigelow's kind of floating around the mid card, but unfortunately, it's about to get worse. It's going to transition to a feud with Doink, which will lead to one of the all-time classic awful matches at Survivor Series. But before we get there, Doink versus Bigelow, who had more fun with this? You or Vince? Well, I didn't have fun with this. I had fun with Matt Osborne Doink, and um, you know, Bam Bam didn't like Matt for whatever reason, and and Matt, you know, was battling his demons at that time to the point that we had to let Matt go and it was right in the middle of this, you know, whole bam, bam angle. And bam, bam says, I've got a guy, I've got a guy that, you know, you put him in the doink suit and the doink, uh, you'll never know the difference. And he's a better worker than Matt Barn. And it was his friend. His name I think was Ray Apollo. Yeah. Um, and, Ray super guy just did not have the innate charisma of Matt Bourne by any stretch of the imagination. The more we tried this, we brought Dink in, um, who was tiger Jackson from Montreal to be a sidekick. Uh, everything that we tried, it just was, it wasn't, you know, Matt Bourne made doink. Matt Bourne is doink was hot. You hear people laughing, but but when they talk about the the shitty doink, is this is the era of the shitty doink? It wasn't Matt, and it, to me, it wasn't doink. It was the replacement doink, and I don't think that he was half the talent of Matt Bourne. And had you had Matt Bourne in the same situation, people would be talking about, "Holy shit, this was insane." Well, it's survivor series, Bruce, the last pay-per-view in the Boston garden. It's promoted as Bigelow, the head shrinkers and bastion booger against four doinks. And the four doinks are men on a mission and the bushwhackers. <laughs> That's right. The four doinks turned out to be men on a mission and the bushwhackers. And even they beat bam, bam, Bigelow, bastion booger. And Put your shrinkers. hands in the air. Wave them like just. What, what was it? What was it? Uh, come on, Bruce. 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 Oscar used to, uh, come to our shows often and would have Oscar do a little rap and introduce me from time to time on our live shows. I was into it. Come on, Bruce. That's the way it started or That's finished fun, yeah. every time. Hey, real quick. want to remind you to check out conradreviews.com. If you think what I'm saying is too good to be true about save with conrad.com check out conradreviews.com. That's where you'll see a five-star review from my man, Robert up in Warren, Michigan. He said, Diane and Brandy made my refinance simple and only took one phone call to get the process started. And the team was great with pondering my busy schedule. 
99% of the communication was done via email. I was able to refinance out of my original FHA loan at a better rate. Even with the cash I took out for a kitchen remodel, my new mortgage payment is still cheaper than my original loan. Who would have thought being a podcast fan could save you money? Hey, thanks for that review, Robert. We appreciate the opportunity to help you save some cash and get that new kitchen, but check that out guys. He got a brand new kitchen with no money out of pocket and his payment still went down. That's like getting a free kitchen. Keep more of your own money. You're overpaying your single biggest bill and you may not even realize it. Find out how much money you can save for free right now at savewithconrad.com. Or if you'd like, give us a call toll free at 888-425-0105 or shoot me an email, conrad at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention we're licensed in more than 40 states? Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. Yeah. Uh, so I got a dud rating Great here shit. as we expected. And after the match, there's doink on a video wall, mocking Bigelow. Of course, the readers of the wrestling observer voted it worst match of the year. Probably hard to argue that Bastion Booger is going to turn face by kissing Luna because really the world needs to see Bigelow versus Bastion. Uh, Bigelow is actually going to wind up being a substitute for Ludwig Borga, who was injured. And in fact, never returned to the WWF at the Royal rumble. And a loss to Tatanka. Uh, whatever happened with Borga? I know he popped up and tried his hand at MMA, and then he was a goner. And there's been lots of rumor and innuendo over the years. Anything you remember about that fella? Well, there's a lot I remember about him. <laughs> Some things I'd like to forget. Um, not a nice man, not a good person. Um, oh. Yeah, just not, not, a, not a very good human being. Uh, probably Tony good. Holm was his name. Google it. If you're not sure what we're talking about, What's uh, that? I just was saying to our listeners, maybe throw in your Google machine. If you want more information on that. Yeah. Piece of shit. We're not done with doink and dink. Uh, WrestleMania 10, uh, now from Madison square garden will feature Bigelow and Luna against doink and dink. They go six minutes and nine seconds. As you said, doink is Ray Apollo. By this point, it gets a star in three quarters. Um, yeah, not great. Meltzer would say it's a lot better than their house show matches, but still, woof. maybe not what we would have wanted to see for Bam Bam. Is Bam Bam just lost in the shuffle here? You know, I think it was just <sighs> timing more than anything, but I, it was, it was coming off of really what uh, and again, it's all circumstantial. I, I think that if you had the the doink program that we had planned on going for a while with it, with with a different doink, it would have been a different story. I want to ask, you know, it feels like it's fallen off a cliff for Bigelow. Like he had this big run at first, his first run. Now that he's back, and I get the players have changed, and it's not the same company, but it doesn't feel like he's positioned nearly as strongly. Is it fair to say that Vince sort of had his mind made up on where Bigelow was, or maybe he had lost confidence from the first go? I mean, he's still willing to give him a job and give him a shot and we'll see what happens, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't feel quite the same. Well, again, I, I think that it was a lot of circumstance and, and just a lot of things that, that worked against it. Um, and Matt being the biggest one in, in the present time that we're talking about here. So, um, Bam Bam in just a year is going to have 
quite the transformation to go from 10 to 11. Let's talk about how we got there. First, he's paired with the million dollar corporation. When DiBiase purchases his contract from Luna, I've always loved that angle where the million dollar man buys someone's contract. It always worked for me. Uh, why was it time to move on from Luna though? I think just more than anything, a change of pace and, you know, to try and make bam, bam, a shining star or something else. Um, how do you think he fit with the rest of the stable, this million dollar corporation? I thought he fit well, actually. Uh, I thought the Bam Bam was a good addition to it and gave gave that whole stable, uh, I think, you know, more a little bit more credibility. I, I think the Bam Bam was the heater in all of that. We should mention, uh, the, it's led, of course, by Ted DiBiase, but you would have Ted DiBiase's The Undertaker, Nikola Volkov, IRS, Tatanka, King Kong Bundy, Kama, Psycho Sid, the one, two, three kid, very briefly, Santa Claus. And, uh, eventually a little fella named stone cold, Steve Austin, I guess back then he was the ringmaster. So it worked out, uh, mm-hmm. but s- somewhere here in the summer of 94, you guys allowed Bigelow the opportunity to go back and work some shows in Japan. Uh, how did this come to be? How does he get special permission to do this? And you know what? Two years later, it was not okay for Scott Hall to do this. I think it was timing again, and it was one of those situations of doing a potential talent trade and using Bam Bam in that negotiation. So Bigelow is going to team with IRS at SummerSlam to get a win over the Head Shrinkers, and then the Million Dollar Corporation of Bigelow, King Kong Bundy, Tatanka, and the Heavenly Bodies would defeat Adam Bomb, Lex Luger, Mabel, and the Smoking Guns at Survivor Series. When you're going in the Survivor Series, did you already have Lawrence Taylor in mind for WrestleMania? Or when would that have first started to become a conversation? And how does Bam Bam become the guy? Um, December was probably, yeah, it was, it was probably December by the time that we got with, with LT LT had announced his retirement and, and all of that. So, um, I want to say it was, it was, it was after survivor series. How does Bam Bam come into the conversation? Why is he the guy who's ultimately chosen again, looking at outside of our business, when you look at who is going to face Lawrence Taylor, you're looking at a big monster of a man with a very unique look that could handle himself in the ring with LT and be able to take LT through a match and know that he would be able to get that job done. And that was bam, bam. Do you remember the, uh, the conversation or the sit down where he gets this, this Intel, is this something where Vince brings him into the office or is this just a phone call or see you at TV? No, it was probably see you at TV and let him know. Here's an idea that we have and we've got LT and we'd like you to do this. Do you remember his reaction? Was he thrilled with this over the moon? Oh yeah, absolutely. Over the moon. What I mean for for a guy like Bam Bam, you know, coming from where he came from and also being a New Jersey guy, I think that that was kind of a big deal. And LT was a bad. You get from this. Yeah. Huge thrill. Who wouldn't love that? So the ball begins moving when Bam Bam and Tatanka enter the world tag team title tournament. After the smoking guns are forced to vacate it due to an injury, 
They defeat men on a mission and the head shrinkers to get to the finals, which happen at the Royal rumble. Ultimately, they're going to lose there to one, two, three kid and Bob Holly. They get plenty of time, 15 minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, Meltzer actually dug it. He gave it three and three quarter stars. Of course, the next night, uh, kid and Holly are going to lose the titles, uh, to the smoking guns because they're back in action. But this is around the time when things start to really look up for Bam Bam, not winning the tag straps. No big deal. I got Lawrence Taylor. Uh, the rumor in innuendo from Dave Meltzer at the time said the Lawrence Taylor angle with Bam Bam Bigelow must have been great because many people who were calling after the show thought it was a shoot because of how Vince McMahon sold it on Monday night. They really played it up as if it were a shoot with Vince McMahon apologizing for it and announcing Bigelow's being suspended without pay. Then bringing Bigelow out for an apology. It was obviously an angle because it fit perfectly into the storyline at the show with people laughing at Bigelow for losing the kid. They mentioned Taylor being there, giving a reason far too many times for them not to be running an angle with him, whatever that means. Uh, the, get the giveaway live was that Taylor was laughing about it afterwards and that the following night they made too many mentions of it. If McMahon had done the apology and it would have been dropped and forgotten, that would have been one thing, but the second time it was brought up, made it obvious. They're doing a Japanese style angle. Oh, then it must've been great. Since the WWF has never done Japan style angles, this will all look like a work because a lot of the people will be buying it. So listen, it's interesting the way this thing is booked. Damn, fuck me. Go ahead. Sorry. Talk to me about the creative of him, you know, sort of poking fun at bam, bam and being a part of the crowd. And then it becomes a real thing. I mean, that's a cool concept. Cool way to get a mainstream celebrity involved. It was played to perfection. You know, LT's there. LT loved to golf and LT, you know, was there to golf. And people that knew LT in the sports world and all, you know, made perfect sense. Bam Bam's uh, out there having a match. LT's having a good time throughout the night. Everybody's laughing. LT's in on it. Hey, laughing at Bam Bam. But then he sees Bam Bam and he wants to be cool with him. Goes, hey, man, just having fun. Hey, man, really good match. And Bam Bam takes exception to it. Fuck you, man, in, in the heat of the moment. And LT played it off perfectly, firing back and all this shit, because it was it, it was real. It was good. It was it was a damn good angle. We got it from all the Japanese uh, commentary that we went back and studied. Thank you. How the commentators sold all that. The build of WrestleMania is really unlike anything we'd ever seen at the time. It's built around the million dollar corporation and all the NFL players that LT is going to have at ringside. How was LT to deal with? Was he difficult? Was this an easy deal to put together? How did he take to training and all that chance? Absolutely fantastic. Top notch, man. Uh, came and trained, worked his ass off, trained his ass off, had a respect for the business, was an absolute natural getting in the ring and really worked hard and trained and trained hard. So, um, I know we don't talk about current stuff, but earlier this year, people were bragging about how great bad bunny was and that he took to wrestling and took it seriously, et cetera, et cetera. Would, would LT have been in that same category with somebody who just was really putting forth their best effort and not just trying to coast on being a, a quote unquote mainstream star. 
Yeah, and I mean, again, you know, it was here. Here was a guy that was willing to do anything and everything, and wanted didn't want to be embarrassed. Wanted to go out and bust his ass and prove that he could do something else. And this was looked at from LT's point of view as something fun and another way to keep his name out there and in the world. How involved was Pat Patterson in putting together their match at WrestleMania? Pat was in there, uh, every night with them and working with them. Pat was there for every single workout and helped lay out that match and just, you know, got everybody comfortable. You know, once upon a time, this was a bigger deal than it obviously became, but was there ever any discussion with Bam Bam about what was happening? I mean, it feels like it's a natural, oh, duh, Lawrence Taylor's winning. He just know that going in, or is that a serious discussion that had to happen? No, I think everybody knew that going in. So the WrestleMania press conference, you know, the only, the only people that, that think it's a big deal to win and lose are people that aren't in the business for the most part. Wait, nobody's ever came to you and argued about a finish. Some people have. Yeah. Okay. But for other reasons, other than I don't want to lose. Yeah. Like, oh my God, losing is such a bad thing. A lot of times it comes back to what's the old phrase we hear. Uh, where do we go from there or something like that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is a fair question. Sure. Uh, so when we do the, uh, the whole LT press conference in New York for WrestleMania and LT accepts Bigelow's challenge quote, anytime, any place, uh, there's a public workout at times square. We've talked about in the archives for the diesel episodes, but really it's just a huge gathering that hails LT and bam, bam, turn into a gigantic brawl, which is just a great visual. You guys, of course, would recreate this sort of public workout media chaos, uh, for wrestling. Oh God, we shut 14. down times square. And did a, did a public workout at noon in Times Square in front of that little ticket office and shit. Set up a ring, shut it down, had our, our buses for dressing rooms across the street. Um, it, it was an ungodly uh, spectacle. It, it, was, it was brutal. And it was so damn good. But everybody was there for several reasons. One, that we shut down Times Square. And that we had this hoopla and this just mass chaos in the middle of New York City, um, middle of lunchtime <laughs> for everybody, and just traffic jams everywhere. Plus the fact that you put LT, this great you know New York giant legend, in a wrestling ring for a public workout, and just chaos ensued. So in that regard, a success on every level. All right, guys, want to give you a real quick peek behind the curtain. Just a couple of weeks ago, my dad had the big family reunion. Uh, it's been a long time since we had one of those, especially with everything that's been going on. And now I don't know when we'll have another one considering everything that's going on now. Anyway, I'm glad we had it. I see a lot of the extended family I hadn't seen in a long, long time. And uh, we were over at my dad's house and one by one, people noticed something pretty special. Last Christmas, I gave my dad a hand-painted portrait of his mother, and she's really the person responsible for this entire family gathering, and one by one, I had aunts and uncles and cousins and everyone ooh and ah and ask, where did this come from? Paintyourlife.com is a game changer. If you want to give a truly meaningful gift, you've just got to try paintyourlife.com. Here's how it works. You can get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. You choose from a team of world-class artists and you work with them until every detail is perfect. 
They have an incredibly easy to use user-friendly platform that lets you order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. And it's such a quick and easy process. You even get your painting in about three weeks. Now you can send any picture of yourself, your children, your family, a special place, a cherished pet, or you can combine photos into one painting. This really does make the perfect birthday or anniversary or wedding gift. And this is something that will be cherished forever because it's meaningful. It's personal. This was a home run at our family reunion, and it'll be a home run for whoever is whatever in your life. I mean, we have done this for the nature boy, Ric Flair. We've given him two. I've given my mom one of not only her dog, but her dad. I just mentioned that I got my dad one of his mom. Unfortunately, my cousin lost uh, my uncle. His father gave him one. I've even gotten two of these. Uh, one of us as a couple in our dining room when we first got engaged. I gave my wife one from our wedding day. And just, uh, I guess a month ago, I got one for my birthday. And it's of our new boathouse. Listen, this is a home run. I can't stress this enough. Perhaps my favorite sponsor we've ever had because it makes me look like a million bucks. At painterlife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, you get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. Now, to get this special offer, just text the word WRESTLE to 64000. That's WRESTLE to 64000. Text WRESTLE to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply. Available at paintyourlife.com forward slash terms. Again, text WRESTLE to 64000. Is this something where you not only have to have uh, a lot of permits and a lot of big checks written to the city, maybe you make a donation here or there, but are there some hundred dollar handshakes going around? If you had to guess to make something like this happen, it feels like just an unbelievable task to think, oh yeah, we're just going to shut down Times square and do some wrestling. Oh, it was definitely, it was, it was huge. And you know, something like this, man, now nah, you've got to have all your permits and everything out the ass, uh, out the ass. ahead That's... of time. This wasn't a run and gun. Oh, Hey, let's go set up a oh, ring. Well, no, let's see what we not. can get by with. No, this was uh, everything up front and making sure everything was covered. So Hartford, Connecticut, it happens. And WrestleMania 11 is the main event. They go 11 minutes and 42 seconds. Of course, Lawrence Taylor is going to get a special entrance. Uh, Salt and Peppa are going to do what a man. Uh, Pat Patterson is what a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty big man. He's a man. What a man, what a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty big good man. He's a man. I don't think yeah, they wrote right. that special for LT, man. That was, it was, they wanted to do that for LT. Well, hang on. They sang the part where he says, yes, he is. You want to go ahead and do yeah. that? What a man, what a man, well, what a man, what a mighty good man. Go ahead and hit it. Yes, he is. Come on, sing it, Bruce. Yes, he is. Okay. That's really not it. 11 uh, minutes, 42 seconds, two and three quarter stars. I don't know. Melzer would say, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be. Will you stop it? Wait, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, wait, I'm a B, I'm a B, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a B. Okay. I'm going to be whooping your ass if you don't get back on track here. I'm going to have to crack the whip on you. <laughs> the match was entertaining and both deserve credit for keeping it from being bad. And you know, listen, I know that seems like a negative way to go into it, but if you really are a wrestling quote unquote purist, a lot of times when you hear there's going to be celebrity involvement, you the biggest thing you can hope for is just don't let it be a disaster. And this was anything, but right. 
It was excellent. I agree. It was damn good, man. Come on. You know, for an outsider to come in and have the performance that LT had, absolutely tremendous, especially with the omen of the huge pyro that we had planned for LT, which were these giant letters LT that lit up and then shot off all this crazy pyro and everything. And the fucking thing fell. It was probably, I don't know, maybe 20 feet above the ring. And they lower the damn thing and we get ready to show, shoot off the pyro to rehearse it and see how it looks and everything. First time doing it. And, you know, it's one of those, everybody clear back from the ring. We're going to be lowering this. We're going to be shooting pyro. we got to test this, make sure it's good. And it hits in the fucking, I don't know if it was the L or the T, but one of the letters just drops and crashes in the ring. And I remember looking at Vince going, well, I guess we won't be doing that entrance tonight. Next. <laughs> just had him take that shit down and take it back. Whatever. I, th- I think it was the L because it like broke. That's hilarious. And it hit. Oh, it was fucking horrible, man. It was like, God damn it. But I bet it would have been cool. Had we been able to do it, it so would still be in an open somewhere. Tell me about um, Vince's reaction to this match. Is he all over Bam Bam when he comes through the curtain in Gorilla? Great shit, pal. Is he thrilled with what he's seen here? Yeah, loved it. It was excellent. Um, it was a damn good job on everyone's part. Even you know, you go back and the football players that we had down there that that were. Pros all the way through. Chris Spielman, class just personified. Uh, Ken Norton, Steve McMichael. They they were all, every one of them was a pleasure to work with and happy to be there. That I remember them coming up um, like the day of or the day before. We got in the day before. They were all arriving in the lobby of the hotel and just were just just fucking great but they they asked me said um hey uh i hear you guys have a party after wrestlemania uh do you think we would would we be able to come to that what dude the party's for you you know and and they all came and were just respectful and great um that was a great crew of people from outside of our business that came in appreciated everything we did and embraced it Let's talk about the show. Um, even though at, at, immediately afterwards, you guys are bragging that it set all kinds of records on pay-per-view. It fell short. It was down 15% from WrestleMania 10, but the gate was $750,000, which is like double what WrestleMania 10 was. And in fact, it's the seventh largest gate in America. So huge numbers here. And the pay-per-view is actually costing more money. So even though we're down 15% when total buys, we went from 29.95 to 34.95. So we did get an increase there. Uh, do you remember being disappointed that all this mainstream publicity and press didn't translate to the number of buys you'd originally hoped? I think it was a little disappointing, but at the same time, there was, uh, we temper our expectations because looking at LT's appeal outside of the New York market. You had to be realistic about it. Yes. He was a badass football player. He was beloved in New York, 
Um, but badass football player doesn't translate to the rest of the world. That's an American sport. Right. Yeah. But I mean, LT was enough of a, of a celebrity beyond that, that we kind of hoped it would, but at the same time, we all kind of had the, all right, this is going to be good for us. This is going to get a lot of outside media and different eyeballs on us. And to that it did. Was it as big as we hoped? I don't think so. As far as, um, featuring the NFL, you know, we've certainly seen other opportunities where NFL players got involved in WWE, but we haven't seen another NFL player headline a WrestleMania. Do you think that could ever happen? Is there such a thing as, I mean, at this point, it feels like WWE is such a global brand. Obviously what's part of time. It was primarily North America, but that's no longer the case. And I just think, I just wonder, you know, does football translate maybe the way basketball or soccer, or some of the other sports I, globally, I don't think it does, but however, when you look at, uh, United kingdom and what have you football is a big deal over there. Yeah. I think the rest of the world, when the, when you say football, they're talking soccer. Yeah. So, so it, it doesn't necessarily translate unless it's, um, a Tom Brady or, you know, Peyton Manning, somebody like that. Peyton wouldn't mean shit right now, but a Tom Brady would. Here's something worth discussing. Um, the rumor in innuendo from the observer at the time, the idea was that after Bigelow put over Taylor, they would have mutual respect. Bigelow was to turn babyface, and it would lead to SummerSlam where they would form a tag team. But after doing one wrestling match, Taylor decided against another. Whether it was the bad publicity or he saw himself as Wait, selling his what? career, Taylor would later say doing WrestleMania was a decision he regretted. And we never saw him again on WWF TV. But when I said he was supposed to do something at SummerSlam, you were shocked. So I guess you're calling bullshit. I am calling bullshit. Okay. Never the case. It was always a one and done. Yes. Did you ever pitch anything else or were, were you like, we, not time we pitched if we pitched, if LT would like to get in the business, the door was open for him. I see. So not as a one-off, but like, you know, if you want to work Topeka, come on over. Yeah. Got it. Or Wichita. Sure. Why not? You know, uh, Bigelow is ultimately fired from the million dollar corporation and turned babyface after losing the diesel on the April 24th edition of Monday night raw. And then bam, bam and diesel are put together against Sid and Tataka for the main event of King of the ring, 1995 in Philadelphia. Uh, we've talked about this show before, but process these names, diesel, bam, bam, Tataka and Sid, and they go 17 minutes and 35 seconds. It gets a star and a half, but, uh. Meltzer would be critical saying I had a flat finish. Diesel's going to give Tatanka a, uh, what's described as a very sloppy jackknife. And he's going to pick Tatanka up at two signal. He wants Sid to tag in and Sid just walks to the dressing room to build up their rematch, which leaves Tatanka alone to be uh, pinned. This is not the best creative we ever had in the WWF. Can we agree? Oh, I don't think it was that bad. It was to build to the next pay-per-view on a yeah show. Um, there's talk, you know, in hindsight that this is around the time when the quote unquote click would start to, as Bigelow described, sabotage his career. He felt like they were shitting on his work to the powers that be. And it was obviously affecting his push. 
And he uses this match as an example of that. Do you think in hindsight, Bigelow was just being paranoid uh, or was there some real professional jealousy that, you know, politics were at play? Cause they are a thing. It was actually both. And I think it was Bam Bam being overly paranoid. And it was also the click giving him reason to be paranoid by telling him they were doing these things was Vince listening to it from the side of, Oh my God, I've got to do something about Bam Bam. No, Vince liked Bam Bam and was continuing wanting to do something with Bam Bam. But I think that the click and those guys kind of played into Bam Bam's paranoia. Shawn Michaels is uh, really going to turn around the same time as Bam Bam did. And I think he would even say even that over overshadowed his turn. And he's going to continue this feud with the million dollar corporation leading to a pay-per-view match against Henry Godwin. He's trying out to be uh, a member of the club here and he gets his last pay-per-view win in the WWF at in your house two. He's going to lose to the British bulldog on in your house three and supposedly afterwards negotiates a release to end his contract with Vince McMahon early. What do you remember about how his run came to an end and what he was frustrated about? Or I know he finishes up after uh, survivor series 95 putting over gold dust on the way out. But why was he looking to leave? It's not like wrestling's here in a boom in this era. Yeah. I think that he was just kind of feeling and buying into the hype of Hey, the click is really burying you do all that, that he didn't feel that he had a way out. And I think that that was one of those where Vince and I even told him, it's like, Scott, just do your shit, man, go out and do your job and stop worrying about what, the boys are telling you what the boys are stirring in your head. Go out and, and do your shit. I was like, oh, I just don't think I can succeed here. And he wanted out. So the fact that he was that uncomfortable, wanted out that bad, led to Vince saying, okay, well, here you go. Do you think Vince was, or perhaps Bam Bam thought Vince was disappointed in him, or maybe he was disappointed in Vince's. I don't know. It just feels like if you're working WrestleMania in the main event with, with a non wrestler, and then on the heels of that, you're, I don't know, maybe a little lost in the shuffle. I just don't remember anybody main eventing a WrestleMania and leaving the company the same calendar year. Well, I, I don't think he was lost in the shuffle. He was put into a place where he could have thrived, but I think in his own head, it was not going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. He had already convinced himself, well, this will never happen because they hate me. They, um, that wasn't the case. So he's going to go back to, uh, the independence. He finds himself in ECW becomes a big player. There wins their world title, uh, eventually jumps to WCW for a bigger contract starts by attacking Goldberg, but very quickly, he's sort of moved down the food chain there. And of course, as we know, WCW's purchased by the WWF while Bam Bam was under contract. So he's going to ride out that time Warner deal and never work for a major promotion again. Were you surprised that he never popped back up anywhere? Were you guys ever interested in reaching out and seeing if maybe something could, you know, you guys would bring people back all the time for like a, a Royal rumble spot, you know, Mr. Perfect or gold dust or whoever, just a one-off. Did anything like that ever even get discussed for Bam Bam? 
I don't remember it really being discussed, but I would say that the door would have always been open for him. He sadly, uh, passed away January 19th, 2007, unfortunately due to a drug overdose, like so many other folks we've heard over the years. What was the last time you talked to Bam Bam and when, how do you remember finding out the news that he was no longer with us? God, the last time I saw Bam Bam was at an ECW event. Um, I, and I couldn't even tell you, you know, what that time frame was, but it was, it was cordial. It was great to see him, you know, and hugged and shared pleasantries back and forth and talked for a little. And that was the last time that I saw him. What do you think his legacy will be? Not just in the WWF, but in wrestling. I mean, it feels like a guy who, you know, I mean, he did some great stuff, but I don't know. Is it fair to say that potential is still the word that would be thrown away around for him? Because I don't feel like he achieved all that he could. It feels like he had talent that was bigger than what we got to see. I think that would probably be the best descriptor is to, to say that he had a great deal of potential. And I don't know that that potential was completely lived up to think that he based on his look on his ability that he should have been much bigger than he was and achieved much more than he did. We got a lot of questions about Bam Bam. He's got a ton of fans. There's no ways we'll get to them all, but let's do a few here. Jared from Texas wants to know. Was there ever any consideration in using him in the Mabel spot in 95? I've heard Kevin Nash say that although they may not have gotten along, he had no issues working with Bam Bam. No, uh, not that I, not that I remember. Um, you know, it was kind of during a time that was during a, a Mabel time of looking at a big nasty heel and using them as a one-off against diesel as a babyface champion that we were looking to feed. So I don't think that was, was actually ever a consideration, but God bless Texas, Jared. Thomas Davis wants to know, uh, who's the one guy who would have been an amazing opponent for bam, bam, that we never got to see. Hmm. You know, I think that if you were to equate it to uh, of all time, you look at you look at a guy like Keith Lee. I think would have been an amazing opponent type thing, just agility and what have you. But on on the other side of it, um, you're going to laugh at this. But I think Kurt Angle would have been oh, would have yeah. been able to get matches out of Bam Bam that would have been extraordinary, tremendous. Uh, Corey wants to know, was there anyone other than Bam Bam considered for work with LT at WrestleMania 11? So let's just pretend even if the answer was no, who else on that roster could have done it? Do you think? Uh, I think razor could have done it. Wow. That's a great call. Um, you know, and could have done it well, but I think, you know, also at the time razor was, was a gimmick. But I think that that Razor, because he was a gimmick, would have been great. But his his ability to work and his ability to talk, he's a big, good-looking bastard, I think would have been a hell of a matchup. Uh, Rocky Bear 52 says, could Bam Bam have fit in both the Attitude and Ruthless Aggression era? 
Uh, yeah, definitely with some tweaks. Again, I think that one thing that lacked in Bam Bam's offense was aggression. Um, I don't know that he always had that that killer instinct aggression. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff Luxon says Larry Sharp had been managing Bam Bam Bigelow up to this point, and Bam Bam had said, and I guess in a shoot interview that Vince McMahon didn't want Larry Sharp and went with Oliver Humperdinck instead. Is there any truth to this? What's the full story? I know you sort of touched on it earlier, but do you remember there being a decision that, okay, we want Bam Bam, but we don't want Larry Sharp. Yes. Okay. And I think that Larry, you know, that Larry was, you know, Larry was selling himself, you know, as a package with Bam Bam and Bam Bam made it very clear also that they weren't a package. So there's two sides of that story. Got it. Um, (laughs) Greg says, were you ever tempted to get a tattoo on your head? And if so, what would it be? Hmm. Save with Conrad.com. Thank you. Appreciate that. One last one. Steve hates wrestling. Uh, says, was there ever any talk of feeding bam, bam to the undertaker during takers, big man period. He brings up a great point, man. You had Undertaker working with Kamala. He got Bundy at a WrestleMania. He got Gonzalez at a WrestleMania. Bam Bam and Taker at WrestleMania could have worked. Maybe they did, but they worked. They worked outside of WrestleMania. Well, they they did have a little bit of a program, and they did work together. Well, next week you and I are going to be working together. You're not done with me yet. Uh, You're going to have to. You're going to have to talk to me about Greg the Hammer Valentine. What do you think we'll talk about when we talk about the hammer next week? Well, we'll probably talk a little bit about his father, Johnny, and the fact that when Greg first, let's, let's go in and dig into a little bit deeper on Greg. Let's talk about Johnny Fargo and, uh, Greg coming in initially and how Johnny didn't want to admit that Greg was his son because it would make Johnny seem old. And Johnny brought him in as his brother at first. Um, and when he first came in, uh, he, he being Johnny would get Greg booked. Well, we'll talk about this, this next week, but, um, Greg's an interesting cat and, um, a little slow, but uh, methodical and a sick, tough son of a bitch. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to bring our Bam Bam Bigelow episode to a close. Don't forget, you get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. And we hope that you will check us out there. Uh, but I'm fired up, man. Next week is going to be a good time talking about Greg, the hammer Valentine. We've got lots of other fun stuff coming your way later in the month. We're going to talk about one of my favorite, maybe unsung hero pay-per-views, uh, in your house, mind games, uh, number 10, uh, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We'll also hit Unforgiven 2006. We got Saturday night's main event from October of 87. We'll hit up In Your House Buried Alive, and we'll actually watch some old Raws from both 96 and 01. It's going to be a fun fall, man, as we cruise into September, October. Uh, is this uh, is this weather doing well for you? It's not nearly as hot as it was. How are you feeling? You liking this time of year in Connecticut? Can you see out my window right now? It's pitch black. Oh my God. But I mean, it's lighting up with the thunder and lightning. We're getting, um, the back end of that horrible storm coming through here tonight. It's supposed to really, really get bad. So everything's kind of flickering around here a little bit. Everything's perfect here in Alabama. I just wanted to mention that. 
Well, good. I hope it's perfect when I get there, and we're not going to discuss one thing about wrestling for the first six days, and then we can do a show. By the way, I don't care if we ever talk about wrestling. I'll just be happy that you actually showed up to something here. Not there yet, pal. Oh, I know. That's why I was just putting it out there that it's not happening. I understand. You're going to have to rewrite 19 shows and all kinds of other stuff and save the world and put out four fires and probably save a baby. By the way, speaking of that, do you ever hear that story about Bam Bam Bigelow running into a fire, saving some lives? No. You didn't hear that? I don't know. All right. Well, fine. <laughs> You better do something before this goes out again. I'm, 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 I'm wrapping it up. We're winding it down. I'm hearing every other word. Oh, really? Is it that bad? Yes, it is. Okay. Are you getting all of me? All of me. Why not take all of me? Don't lift your shirt up and show me your nipple like that again. By the way, just so we're clear, the allegations for why he wound up being <clears throat> in prison. Aggravated assault, attempted kidnapping, criminal restraint, drug possession, robbery, and sexual assault. And, uh, apparently when he did the stint, um, in Mexico city, it was for acting illegally as a bounty hunter in Mexico. So stress. So did he actually do time or not? You know, I haven't looked up the records, but that's the rumor and innuendo. That whole burn I was talking about, the uh, the fire and whatnot. July 4th, 2000, Bigelow received second-degree burns on 40% of his body while rescuing three children from a fire in New Jersey, and he wound up spending 10 days in a hospital after that incident. And I'm sure you just ran right over there and sent him flowers and thanked him for his heroic effort. All right. But next week, we're going to have some heroic efforts. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Greg Valentine next week. Right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Ah! <laughs> Are you okay? What was the yelling for? I don't know. Cause of the fucking, you, you seriously can't hear this shit. No. Oh my God, you're deaf. I can't. Well, maybe because this is on directional. So did you just put, did you just put your headphones up to the window thinking that I could, (laughs) 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 it's the microphone that makes the noise. Bruce. (laughs) I know, but I wanted you to hear it. I know that's not the way it works. We'll see you next week. Bruce is sleepy, tired and stressed. He's trying to let me hear things. By putting the headphones well, on hear, them. But I can hear it through the headphones. But the microphone is what receives the noise. But it's coming from the microphone what I hear. Okay. Well, we love and appreciate you, Bruce, and we're glad you were able to make time. Go back to saving lives, Bubba. We'll see you next week right here on Something to Wrestle. Rock on. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks, and a few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end, when people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home. Okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. 
you lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over paid for by NHTSA. Hey, real quick. want to give a shout out to our man, friend of the show, teacher, rapper, DJ, and hero. Megaran. He's working on a new album. It's going to be all the fun of the classic video games, comic books, pro wrestling references that you're used to, but with one added element, basketball live 95 is the title and he's raising funds for it right now on Kickstarter with your help. The album will release on digital CD, custom USB, and even limited picture vinyl. Support tiers start as low as 10 bucks with tons of perks like snapback hats, tops, trading cards, and the ability to record a skit and appear on the album. Sounds like a good time to me. Back Megaran's new project live 95 at megaran.com forward slash Kickstarter. Let me just tell you, Megaran is a wrestling fan, just like me and you. Uh, we've connected a few times at our different conventions and live shows, uh, cooler than the other side of the pillow. Love to support wrestling fans who are doing their thing. And I'm telling you, if you haven't seen it, you're going to love it. Go check it out. If you love classic video games or comic books or pro wrestling or basketball, this is for you. Take a look. Megaran.com forward slash Kickstarter. That's M-E-G-A-R-A-N.com forward slash Kickstarter. Megaran.com forward slash Kickstarter. Help a brother out. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.